Grab a Bible and open it to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 10, and you might go ahead and turn also over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 19. Ephesians chapter 6, Acts chapter 19. Some of you may have wondered what happened to our sermon series on the book of Matthew. Oftentimes when we're walking through a longer book of the Bible during the summertime, we'll take a break and we'll do some shorter series during the summertime. So we have some good things planned for this summer, this week, and next week we're going to be walking through the issue of spiritual warfare. And then coming up later on in the summer, we have planned a series, both BJ and I are planning a series on the topic of anxiety. We know that we live in a world that is full of anxiety, full of struggle with that particular issue. And so we want to address that uh, this summer over several weeks. So that will be coming up as well. We'll probably walk through a few Psalms and we'll also walk through the book of Jonah. And so all of that is coming up this summer. And then we will resume for those of you who are looking forward to the chapters on the end times in the book of Matthew. Those are up on the slate next. We'll be doing those beginning in the fall. And so be looking forward to that. One of the things I learned as I've been preparing this series on spiritual warfare, I had planned one sermon on spiritual warfare. Uh, that should never be the case when you are preaching on the topic of your dissertation. And so um, the introduction became today's sermon, and then next week we will finish up talking about spiritual warfare. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, reading through verse 20. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens for this reason take up the full armor of god so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take, up, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that, my, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I do pray that you would speak to us and equip us as we seek to engage in this spiritual warfare this battle that rages all around us, even though we know the devil's doom is sure, the battle is very real. And Lord, we do face an enemy who roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Help us to stand firm in your armor in the victory of Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
want to begin today with something that you already know. The Christian life is hard. As Scott began the service with today, and sharing with you the challenges that we face as believers, all of you could probably look over the last week or even the last months or certainly the last year and say, this life is filled with difficulty. This life is filled with struggle. This life is so many times, even as believers, filled with pain as you have certain plans that they don't pan out. You face continual struggles and sometimes you even fail. Living for holiness is harder than you anticipated it being. You wanted to be further along in your Christian life, in your battle against sin, than you, than you are at this particular moment. You still struggle. You still fail. You still have these trials that you endure. And sometimes, let's just be honest with each other, sometimes as believers, we even feel defeated. Sometimes we go to bed at night and wondering, my goodness, I must not be a very good Christian. And you've known the pain of that feeling in your own soul. Relationships fall apart in this life. We struggle relationally. We struggle with people. Animosity can grow in unexpected places. And at times it becomes very difficult to maintain joy, peace, and hope for any meaningful stretch of time. We experience moments of this reality in our souls, but it seems like it's a constant fight to maintain these spiritual realities, the fruit of the Spirit at work within our souls, within our lives on a daily basis. It seems like life is war. And the reason why it seems like life is war is because indeed it is war. Life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can be characterized as spiritual warfare. And we know from this passage that we do not war against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities and powers and forces of darkness and spiritual wickedness in the high places. If we think that our warfare is against people, then we have misplaced the battle and our striving will be losing. Because our battle is not a seen battle. Our battle is in unseen, is in unseen realms. Our battle against, is against Satan in this cosmic struggle. The reality of our lives as believers is that Satan has, hates you. Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> Man, I'm blessed. <laughs> But it's true. But there's another reality that we need to keep in mind in this spiritual warfare. Yes, Satan is our foe, but he is a defeated foe. And Satan's defeat can be expressed in three terms and three tenses. Satan has been defeated. Satan is being defeated. And Satan finally will be defeated in the end. Satan has been defeated, and the decisive defeat of the devil happened through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus overcame the devil for us, and when we rest, as we'll talk about next week, when we rest in the armor of God, when we stand firm in the armor of God, really what we are doing is we are putting on the victory of Christ. We are putting on Jesus. We are putting on the victory that Christ has already won for us 
past tense, and in the present tense, we stand firm against the principalities and the powers, and that one who roams around like a roaring lion, now in these times, in between the times, seeking someone to devour. Satan has been defeated. Satan is being defeated through the church, and Satan will be defeated in the end when he is finally and forever cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. And we will one day be free of the tempter. We will one day be free of this accuser of the brethren. But in the meantime, in these days, we stand firm against principalities and powers in this very present darkness, in this day. Here in Ephesians 6, we are given instructions by God to be prepared for spiritual warfare. And it's very important for us to know that in this passage, like so many passages in the New Testament, in order to understand spiritual warfare properly, we need to learn to speak Southern. Once again, here in this passage, all of these commands are in the you plural form. (laughs) Y'all. Y'all stand firm. This is to the church, by the way. The marching orders are not individual orders, although we do individually stand firm in the armor of God. However, if you are going to win in this battle, you will not win it alone. There are no Rambos, Jack Bowers, or Ironmans when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, if you're going to win in spiritual warfare, you are going to lock arms with other brothers and sisters in Christ as together we all, y'all, put on the full armor of God. Y'all be strengthened by the Lord. Y'all pray at all times in the Spirit. Spiritual warfare is a community effort as the church together stands firm. Even as we sang in the first song this morning, church arise and put your armor on. That is the whole point of this message this week and next week. Church, arise and put your armor on. Now, what is spiritual warfare? It's important that we define what we are talking about here because there's so many interesting definitions out there when it comes to this this particular subject and this particular topic. One of the best definitions that I found of spiritual warfare is actually by Chuck Wallace and Bill Cook, William Cook. And it's as follows. Here's what they say. They say spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces with the church standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. Amen. Let me read that again. Spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces, with the church standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil, and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. That is spiritual warfare. And it's no wonder that Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, and also by the Holy Spirit to our church 2,000 years later, As the church marches on into the future, we are given these marching orders to stand firm in the armor of God. 
Now, in order to understand what's happening, why does Paul say these things to the Ephesian church in particular? Why not in the letter to the Philippians? Why not in the letter to the Colossians? Or why not somewhere else? Why at this moment in the New Testament? Why to the Ephesian church in particular? What was going on in the background of the founding of the Ephesian church that really highlights and helps us make sense of this particular passage, this particular subject of spiritual warfare? And so what I want to do today is I want to spend most of our time, in fact, the rest of our time, looking at the background of the church at Ephesus, looking at the founding of the church of Ephesus, and then the founding of the church of Ephesus will get a lot of background knowledge and information and principles of spiritual warfare that we'll come back next week and talk about how to put on the full armor of God understanding who this recipients of this letter are the ephesian church who are they what is the background helps us to understand in context what paul is saying here about putting on the full armor of god and so with that go ahead and turn back in your bibles to acts chapter 19 acts chapter 19 is where luke the doctor records the founding of the church in ephesus this is where we get the backstory of the armor of God. I won't read the whole chapter, but what I want to do is I want to walk through this chapter, and I encourage you to read through it later. Read through it this week and really solidify the background of spiritual warfare here in the book of Acts. Acts 19 records the founding of the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a coastal town. It's in modern-day Turkey. And Paul is going to go across, which is what is modern-day Turkey, he calls it Asia in the Bible, but he's going to go across Asia, Central Asia, he goes across Asia, and he goes into this particular community called Ephesus in order to preach the gospel for the very first time. He's bringing the good news of Jesus to a community, to a people, Gentile and Jew, and then in the beginning verses, another community that had not yet heard of the good news of Jesus. Now, interesting background of Ephesus is Ephesus is a particular community that was enmeshed in the demonic. They were enmeshed in idol worship of all kinds. There was a ginormous, is that a word? Ginormous temple there to Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis. So there was a temple there to this goddess, and then all of the people there, there's other books, there's other records in Roman writings and Latin writings, other writings, Greek writings at that particular time that record just how enmeshed the culture of Ephesus was in the occult. There was all sorts of witchcraft and magic and demonic presence. This was a stronghold of the devil. And this, so Paul is going right into the battle of spiritual warfare. And when he arrives there in Ephesus, Paul finds there 12 disciples of John the Baptist. So these disciples of John the Baptist had been following John throughout John's ministry there in Judea, there near Jerusalem, in that area of the world. And as soon as John was arrested, they scattered across the world. And so after John was arrested, the disciples of John the Baptist scattered out. They had not yet gotten news that Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, Savior of the world, had died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the grave. They had not yet gotten news that what John predicted when he looked at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that that had happened. They had not heard yet that there was a Holy Spirit poured out on all who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
And so Paul finds these 12 disciples of John, and he shares with them the gospel. And as he shares with them the gospel, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They received the sign of the expanding kingdom of Christ. They speak in other languages and other people can understand what it is that they are saying. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're saved. They trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul sticks around for a couple of years. He sticks around to disciple these disciples of John. Can you imagine the founders of your church? If you were to look on the wall of the founding members of the church of Ephesus, you would see 12 apostles of John. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. I imagine these guys were pretty radical. (laughs) I mean, they followed a guy that wore a camel's hair and ate bugs. So um, (laughs) these guys were pretty intense. And so Paul disciples these disciples of John, and together they make their way to the synagogue to tell the good news of the kingdom of God. And when they get there, the religious crowd opposes Paul and kicks him out of the synagogue, but Paul continues to persevere, and God is doing incredible miracles through this apostle, through Paul's hands, through the church at Ephesus, so much so that as the church is praying for people, people are being healed and demons are fleeing. And if you look at verse 10, it says this, this went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. This went on for two whole years, so that all the people around that community were hearing the gospel. The gospel is being preached in power in the face of opposition. People are being saved. Lives are being transformed. People are being set free from the power of the devil. And this is where things really begin to get interesting for us. Because beginning in verse 11, we find there that as the church begins to make inroads into the kingdom of darkness... The devil and the demons are not going to sit back and just say, okay, that's fine. We're cool with getting whooped every week. (laughs) And when our church makes us stand firm for the gospel of Christ in this world, we will not go unnoticed. And you will not go unnoticed either. In verse 11, it says there that there are, in that area, seven Jewish itinerant exorcists. That's pretty interesting. There's a lot of other writings about this happening in that day. They wanted to use magic. They wanted to use incantations. They wanted to use names that they thought had certain powers in order to overcome the demons. They were using using demonic devices in order to cast out the devil. And they had heard that Paul had been powerfully casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they thought, this is cool. Let's try it. Even though they did not believe in Jesus, the seven sons of Sceva thought that we can use the name of Jesus, whom we do not believe in and don't really care about, but what we really want to have is the power of Jesus without faith in Jesus. We want the power of Jesus without having to live the life that Jesus requires. And so these seven sons of Sceva find this guy that has a demon. He is demon-possessed. And they go to this guy and they say to him, 
all seven of them say to this one guy, they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. I command you to come out. And do you know what the demon says to the seven sons of Sceva? <laughs> the demon says to the seven sons of Sceva, we know, I know Jesus. And I've heard of Paul. But who are you? <laughs> and this is one of the best verses, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 16. It says that the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered all of them, and gave them such a beating. One guy against seven beat up all seven of them that the seven sons of Sceva left that place naked and bleeding. Now get the picture here. Anytime you go into a fight and you have pants, <laughs> and you leave a fight, and you don't have pants on anymore, <laughs> that's an epic beatdown. <laughs> and so here the demons gain the victory, and we find the first principle of spiritual, actually the first two principles of spiritual warfare in Acts chapter 19, in the background of the armor of God. Principle number one of a spiritual warfare, of spiritual warfare. Do not try to engage in spiritual warfare in your own strength. Do not try to engage spiritual warfare in your own strength. The pathway to victory is to stand firm through faith in the victorious Christ. The point of Acts chapter 19 is the contrast between the ministry of Paul and what the seven sons of Sceva are trying to do. If you try to overcome darkness, if you try to overcome the devil, if you try to overcome the wicked one and aren't standing firm in prayer, in the gospel, in the word, in truth, in Christ, you're going to be defeated. And sometimes the beatdown can be severe. In this warfare, we must realize that we cannot stand in our own strength. In this passage, we know that Paul is engaged in spiritual warfare. He's trusting in the gospel. He's prayed up. He's full of the Holy Spirit. So much so that in verse 12, it says that even if a, he sends a handkerchief to somebody who has a struggling with a disease or is struggling with a demon, that God heals them. Now, the point of this passage and in so much of the book of Acts is not to be exemplary to us. It's not saying to us, go and do likewise. Nowhere else in the New Testament does Paul instruct the New Testament church so buy you a bunch of handkerchiefs and start handing them out. That's not the point of this passage. And in fact, in some ways, there is a uniqueness to the ministry of the Apostle Paul and of the other apostles as well. Why? Because these were the ones that God was doing some of these extraordinary miracles through them, identifying them as the apostles of God with specific authority, one-time authority to write Scripture. And in fact, so much so that if anybody but an authenticated apostle of God from the New Testament claims to be writing Scripture, they're wrong. And in fact, that's where many of the cults come from today. There's people claiming that. But at the same time, 
we need to realize that the point isn't entirely historical either. As if these passages have nothing to say to us in our warfare today. But here in our place, in our time, in our battle, what we learn from this passage is the Holy Spirit powerfully working through the people of God is the only way to stand firm in spiritual warfare. The path to spiritual victory in this battle is to stand firm in the gospel of Christ, to stand firm in the Holy Spirit, prayed up, read up, standing firm in the Word, saturated with the Scripture, saturated with Holy Spirit. And in fact, the way he's going to say it in the book of Ephesians is stand firm, therefore, in the full armor of God. Pray always in the Holy Spirit with all kinds of prayers. Why? Because if you go into the battle without your breastplate, without your helmet, without your shoes, without your sword, without your shield, Satan is going to get you every single time with the arrows, those flaming arrows that he is firing at you constantly. You cannot go into battle without your armor on. And that's exactly what the sons of Sceva did. Here in this passage, we know we have the double-edged sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, all of the aspects of the armor of God. And all of this armor we take up with saturated prayers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says this, Pray at all times with the Spirit in every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all of the saints. You know, today we see people trusting in a lot of realities, a lot of things rather than the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in this battle, rather than wearing the armor of God, people trust in their own ingenuity, people trust in their own wisdom, people trust in the wisdom of the culture, people trust in their own strength, people trust in all kinds of things. Well, popularity, but we know that if we in our own strength can fight, our striving will be losing. And one of the reasons why the devil so often puts a whipping on Christians, to use southern talk, (laughs) is because we are not resting and trusting and standing firm in the armor of God. This brings us to point number two. Principle number two of spiritual warfare is this. Ask yourself, application, ask yourself whether you are living for Jesus with such passion that the devil knows your name. Ask yourself, are you living for Jesus with such passion that the devil knows your name? There is something very instructive that we hear from the demon that is possessing this guy that the seven sons of Sceva are attempting to cast out. The demon says, I know Jesus, and I have heard of Paul. The demons have no question about who Jesus is. The demons have put out an APB on Paul. Watch out for this guy. He does a lot of damage when he shows up to town, as we'll see even more about it here in a minute. But I want you to ask yourself, does the way you live your life for Jesus cause any fear at all in the kingdom of darkness? Do they know your name? Do they know the name of our church? Do we pose any threat at all to the devil. There's one missionary, I believe it was Patton, that once said, when I die, I want there to be a celebration in hell that he's gone. (laughs) 
or at least among the demons anyway. Are we living like that? And does our church have enough faith in Jesus? Do we trust in Jesus? Are we believing Jesus for such things that only Jesus can do? Are we sharing the gospel in such a way that we're a threat to the kingdom of darkness? Is our church a threat to the darkness encroaching the tri-cities? If not, why? Let me ask you, does the way you pray, does the way you pray day by day, does it have any impact for the kingdom of Christ in this expansion of the church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Does your prayer life even come up as a blip on the devil's radar screen? What about how you are believing in God to do things great in your life? What about your evangelistic efforts? What about your battle against sin? Is the devil concerned at all about your resistance? Or is he constantly saying to you, resistance is futile? And you know he's right. How is your battle against sin? Are you standing firm in the armor of God against the devil? Does the devil know your name? Is the devil worried at all about your passion in worship? Or does he know he doesn't have to worry about you because you're thinking about the roast? Or because you're thinking about the fun that you have planned this afternoon? Are you thinking about other things? Is the devil concerned at all about your passion and worship? Is he concerned at all about your life group touching lives and, and ministering to people and encouraging people as they walk through this very challenging and difficult world? Is the devil concerned about our children's ministry? Is the devil concerned about our youth ministry? Is the devil concerned about the way that we make disciples? All of these realities are spiritual warfare. It's why we engage in them. And when we engage in prayer, when we engage in the spiritual disciplines, when we engage in gospel sharing, when we engage in our community, we engage in loving each other, it is engaging in spiritual warfare, so much so that the devil would know our name as a church. It was a very real temptation for the Ephesian church, because we know that the Ephesian church, the arc, the storyline of the Ephesian church does not end well. And in fact, if you were to go today to where the Ephesian church was at one time, you would not find anything. Because there's no church there. It was snuffed out not long after the book of Revelation was written. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, we find in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, in the letter to the church of Ephesus, we find that there's a problem in the church of Ephesus Jesus is saying this to the church there. He says, I have this against you, church at Ephesus. And it would say, I would say also that Jesus perhaps also wonders this about the modern church as well. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. The problem of the church of Ephesus began white hot. Disciples of John casting out demons. Demons fleeing. Devil knows their name. In fact, they're even going to incite a riot here in a moment. All of these realities. But the arc, the trajectory of the church of Ephesus was a growing coldness, was a growing iceberg, was a growing chilliness towards God in their love for God, was a growing chilliness in their passion for worship, was a growing chilliness in their love for one another. And as their love began, to wax cold. They were having no great impact. And in fact, the warning to the church of Ephesus is 
beware lest I come and remove the lampstand from its place. In other words, the warning was you won't have a church anymore if you don't stand firm in white-hot passion of love for God and love for people. The story goes on here in, the book, in, in Acts chapter 19. When the word gets out of what happens there among the seven sons of Sceva, especially in comparison to what happens with Paul, revival begins to break out. And it's interesting where revival breaks out is these are revivals breaking out among the disciples, among the church at Ephesus. And what happens is the people are convicted of their sin in the church and in the community. So oftentimes in revival, when God sends revival to people and God revives his church to stand firm against darkness, what happens among the people of God first is the people of God begin to repent. The people of God begin to repent of their sin. And that's exactly what happens. The church starts bringing in their things that they have been hiding, the sins that they have been hiding, the things that they have been resting on, trusting in that would save them. They had had a Jesus and gospel. What were they bringing back? What were they bringing into the church? It says there that they are bringing in, beginning in verse 18 to verse 20, it says that they are bringing in their magic books. They're bringing in all of their incantations and these magic writings that they had been resting in, they realized that they were not going to rescue them, and they burned all of them. This was radical commitment to Jesus, all in, because we know the warfare that we are engaged in. And it's interesting that it says there in verse 20 that the total amount of all of the occult materials that they burned was 50,000 pieces of silver. Now look at verse 20. In verse 20 it says there, in this way the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. This brings us to point three of spiritual warfare. Standing firm in Jesus, enduring through the onslaught of demonic depression, often leads to tremendous spiritual breakthroughs. Revival broke out in the Ephesian church at that moment when the church stands firm for the gospel, stands firm for truth, and no longer holds the truth out here, that's very nice, Pastor, but brings it in all the way into here and says, it's revolutionizing my life, and I'm going to deal with the sin that I've been holding on to because I realize that if I don't stand firm in this armor, I'm going to be defeated. Spiritual warfare is not something for the super spiritual. It's for every believer. And what does spiritual warfare so often look like in the life of a believer and the life of every one of us? It looks like this. Increasingly and every day, getting rid of the sin that so easily entangles us and getting ready to run this race of faith, putting on the armor of God, fighting the battle against temptation, fighting the battle against sin, standing firm for truth in the midst of an evil and wicked generation. Standing firm in Jesus, enduring through the onslaught of demonic oppression leads to spiritual breakthroughs. Here is my fear. It's so oftentimes, I wonder throughout church history, I wonder how many times the church was enduring the flaming reign of the darts of the enemy, was enduring a time of suffering, was enduring a time of difficulty, and they gave up right before they would have experienced breakthrough. I wonder how many times people throw in the towel 
right at that moment, right before they would have experienced victory. And so I want to challenge you, believer, after this past year of tremendous suffering, after this past year of tremendous confusion and all kinds of change and all kinds of weirdness breaking out in our culture, breaking out in our world, in your lives, and what's going on in your day-to-day world, the encouragement of this chapter is to stand firm and keep standing firm. Stand firm is not a one-time deal where you did it last Friday. (laughs) You need to stand firm today. And you'll need to stand firm tomorrow. And wait for that day when Jesus brings the victory. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John says to, John is actually a past, one of the pastors at this point when he's writing, and the church of Ephesus. And it's interesting that he writes to the church of Ephesus, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Recognize this. Stand firm and watch the Lord fight for you. Watch the Lord bring you victory in Jesus. So how does all this end up in this chapter? We don't have time to go in detail from verse 21 through verse 41, but let me summarize it for you. The devil doesn't give up. And in fact, the church is having such inroads into society that it's causing economic challenges for the idol business. Those who are selling idols, those who are selling silver idols in that particular place are starting to get to the point where they're wondering, where did all of our customers go? (laughs) Nobody is buying these statues of Artemis anymore. (laughs) And so one of them named Demetrius comes out and he starts a riot in the street. And they start, and some of them don't even know why they're shouting. (laughs) Sounds familiar. And they they all start writing and yelling and hollering. It's like the ancient Antifa. They're all striding. They're all yelling in the streets, hollering at each other, breaking stuff. They run into the temple and they're all shouting. And it says there that for two hours, when they try to get them to settle down, for two hours they begin to shout, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours they are committed to this, all of a sudden the crowd eventually the crowd settles down but the point is clear number four, stand firm to the end, the demonic oppression will be relentless throughout this journey but the call to the faithful is stand firm stand firm in the victory already given to us in Christ let me encourage you, opposition to your faith opposition to the gospel in this community and when your life is hard is not necessarily a sign that you're doing things wrong so many interpret difficulty in the christian life as a sign that my goodness i must be doing something wrong in fact the fact the very fact the very reality that you are facing challenges might very well be a sign that you are doing things right And in fact, if you read Hebrews 11 and you read biography of Christians throughout the ages, you found some of the most faithful people suffered greatly. And yet, they stood firm in the gospel. Spiritual warfare isn't a minor skirmish. It is a long-term war. Yes, we are in the mop-up operation. But at the same time, the battle is real. My encouragement for you today is for you all 
to stand firm in the armor of God and engage in this warfare every single day. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. Stand firm in Jesus and watch him gain the victory in your life. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And Lord, I pray for us, even as in the last week, many of, many of our folks, many of our people in different ways, whether it be health struggles or family struggles or grieving that they are enduring or even trying to share the gospel with somebody who seems so hard or battled against sin or so many different ways, so many different things, so many different expressions of this war, so many different fronts that we face in our lives. And Lord, I pray that in every situation that you would help us to stand firm in the full armor of God, putting each piece on with prayer, knowing that we are putting on the victory of Jesus standing firm in our Christ, knowing that through Christ, Satan has no hold on us. Lord, help us to know the battle is fierce, the battle is real, but Lord, you are on our side. Lord, we know that the word of God will overcome him. Lord, I pray for this time of response. Lord, I pray for those who just need to spend some time praying and putting on the full armor of God, reminding themselves that, yes, this is a war. Lord, I pray that you would help them to do that. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would trust in Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray that through this series, we would be equipped for the battle that we face. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.